join us now in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Good to be with you again, Michael. And, uh, you know, Christmas is coming pretty soon. It is. Can't wait. Can't wait. I think <laughs> the, old, the older I get, the more Christmas means. Well, you me. have these young grandchildren, so Christmas is something very special. It, it is, yeah. and but but just as an older person, I think what happens is the the trappings get stripped away, and you you have a, a better appreciation for what Christmas really means. Yeah, I, I get that. Believe me, I do. Well, let me mention what's coming up on the program today. We're going to talk about Isaiah here in a few moments. Speaking of Christmas, Isaiah chapter nine will be part of that conversation. Uh, you have the Biblical Imagination Conference, which uh, you're doing around the country, and yeah. you had one of those recently in New York. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Mark Spencer, who put that uh, conference on and did a phenomenal job. Yeah, so he's a sweet, people, sweet brother. I want people to really understand what the conference is all mm-hmm. about, and Mark does such a great job yeah. hosting uh, when whenever you go to his area for yes. it. So we'll we'll hear from Mark, and then a very special conversation from a friend who's been a friend for a long time, yeah. but we haven't talked to in a long time. No, we have caught up with Larry Crabb, and he has been uh, he's been through it. Uh, battling with two different bouts of cancer, and uh, as you would expect from Larry, he's you know he's not wasted a, a, a single moment of that. He's actually written uh, a book that we'll talk about, we'll, but we'll get to catch up with Larry, which yeah, will be great. Yeah, this is big news month for you because uh, your book on Hesed and CD are coming out this month. Yep, it can be pre-ordered now at michaelcard.com. We want everyone to know about that. You've worked a long time on that. Yeah, it's gonna. I, I, I'm looking forward to holding. I haven't actually held one in my hand yet, but I'm looking forward to. That's a big moment. All right, <laughs> let's start with your song "Recapture Me." Speaking of biblical imagination, we'll ask you to sing this song. Michael, I think it's important that we focus on Christmas for a few moments. Uh, I'm saying this to myself because I, I'm one of those people that has a hard time getting into the Christmas well, spirit, too. so to speak. Sure. You know, and maybe at the last minute it might or might not happen from year to year, but well, we really need to prepare for it. Everything in the culture is working against us True. at this point. You know, um, Dinah Smith used to say, if the devil can't make you do wrong, he'll make you do right wrong. So oh. if, he can't, if he can't make you sort of not believe in Christmas at all, he yeah. so preoccupies you with candy canes and reindeers and all these sort of things that you you still miss the point. And I think it's what you're saying is important. We need to prepare our hearts just to realize what, what in the world happened. Yeah. So do this for me, and the listeners can come along if they want, okay. but help me prepare for Christmas <laughs> Whether here. they want to or not, <laughs> the know, listeners yeah. are going to come along. But let's, uh, let's look at Isaiah. Sure. Uh, and here's the prophet hundreds of years before the coming of the, of the Christ child. But Listen to these verses, which are so well known, Isaiah 9, beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Yeah. Well, Famous words, but we need to slow down and listen to them. Yeah, and, and that gives meaning to this little impoverished baby who's wrapped in rags and lying in a feeding trough. He is the fulfillment of that remarkable promise. Um, and, and it does. It takes you a while to even begin to wrap your, your mind around that. Mm-hmm. But even before that, I think you have to understand the context. It's all about context. In Isaiah's context, he is he's speaking like the other prophets. He's speaking to a group of people who refuse to listen. It, it, the context is, Bill Lane used to say, it's willing disbelief. So I think in order to understand the context of, of, of nine and that amazing uh, promise that we have to look forward to, you got to go all the way back to six and, and see that the context of Isaiah is willing disbelief. All the prophets, God sends them, you know, for hundreds of years, he's, he's, he's uh, warning them and, and wanting them to repent and turn back to him. And he's in the context of willing uh, disbelief. Even in, this, in 6, when he's called, uh, Isaiah realizes that— uh, he, I'm not qualified. I, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, yeah, he says. And I'm in, amidst a people of unclean lips. So, Lord, you know— you just don't get this. This is, you know, this is not going to happen. But um, G- G- to me, it's interesting. Jesus quotes uh, from Isaiah 6 when he's uh, explaining uh, the parable of the sower. This is in Mark 4. And this is almost um, um, categorically misunderstood. You'll, you'll, you'll hear people explain this verse or you're reading commentaries and they'll say things like, well, Jesus is being obscure. Or Jesus purposefully is, yeah, obscure. The yeah. purpose of parables is to sort of blind people. Yeah. Well, I, that's that's an absurd idea in, in, anyway, because like a, a a parable like the parable of the sower or, or, or the parable of the soils, it really should be called. He he tells he he speaks the same truth three different ways, mm-hmm. and he does that a lot in his parables. He'll repeat himself, and someone who's trying to be obscure doesn't repeat themselves and make the same point. You know, three different ways or four different ways. Well, it wouldn't be his mission to come and keep things from us. Absolutely, and and, and when, so when he quotes Isaiah six, uh, there in in uh, in Mark chapter four, uh, let me just read from it the C, from the CSB. They may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and not yet understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. That takes into account the context of Isaiah, which is this willing disbelief, which is the same context that Jesus is telling these parables in. So uh, they're not perceiving, not because Jesus is being obscure, but it's willing disbelief. Yeah, it's their own hardness of heart. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just to make the tie to where we're living today, I mean, this is a culture of unbelief and increasing unbelief, it seems. willing disbelief. Yes, yes. And and I don't want what you have for me. Right. And, uh, yeah, calling uh, calling the truth a lie and that sort of thing. So when the Lord says, whom shall I send, you know, we have to respond, here am I, Uh, send me. That's right. Isaiah, he's our pattern at that point. Yeah. And... um, and also, I think we, we have the reality of the fact that this is not an easy mission that we're called to, but we have God's grace to, God's chesed to uh, sustain us uh, as, as we speak to other people this incredible truth that Christ has come, this little baby, this little impoverished baby, uh, is the wonderful counselor. Mm-hmm. He is the one who, who, on whose shoulder the government is going to rest. And, yeah. Uh, Whatever side you're on in despairing about the government, I mean, our promise from Isaiah is that the government's going to rest on Jesus' shoulder. Mm-hmm. We're going to have an absolutely wise, uh, gracious uh, 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 king mm-hmm. who who is going to bring his kingdom in and to be part of our our world. Yeah. That that rest that burden rests on him and, and no one else. What, and that's what we celebrate in Christmas. That that kingdom is 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 coming in. Jesus will say later on. He'll be standing close to someone. He'll say, well, the kingdom, you're close to the kingdom, and he means him. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who works uh, very deeply in public policy, and he always says that everything starts with Christmas hmm. because that that's that's where Christ came, and that's where Christ points the way. Even in, even in areas of public policy, it begins at the manger. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that manger tells us that the world's been turned upside down. Hmm that those uh, structures of power that 
the you know the the American political system is all based on power. Mm-hmm. Jesus' kingdom is based on letting go of power, and um, that that's a hard system to to wrap your head around. Yeah. I'm a bit of a news junkie. I don't know if you are or not, but I I tend to probably watch more news than I really need to because mm-hmm. it really is disconcerting to say the least at times. But especially as we enter into this season, my commitment is to you know spend less time there and more yeah. time here. In passages like Isaiah that really anchor me in what what uh, I need to be thinking about now. Yeah, tell, let me feed on truth. Yes, and uh, and not um, otherwise. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and not otherwise. Careful choice of words there. Because we have, we do have good news, and and the beginning of this promise it, it it's begun to be fulfilled. I mean, in in the coming of Christ, mm-hmm. in the incarnation, that promise from Isaiah. It's begun. Yeah. Okay. It hasn't come fully yet. Right. We're in between. It, we're in between, but the promise has begun, and we can be part of that. And and people like you and me, we've seen all, all over the world, and some of us, luckily, even in our own communities, that the kingdom is actually here. I've I've seen evidences of the kingdom. Yeah, you get glimpses, don't you? Yeah. Of people who are powerful, letting go of their power. Mm. Of 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 people who have no right to expect anything, receiving everything because of. The grace of God. Yeah. Did you want to go to Isaiah 42 as well? Comment on that? Uh, Well, that's just another part of this uh, image that Isaiah has of who Jesus will be. And and it's this is the image of the the one who is ultimately the the one of ultimate power who comes when he does come. How does he come? He comes in gentleness. Servant. Yeah. He's a servant Lord. The bruised reed. He won't even bend a smoldering wick that's just about to, you know, go into the wax. He won't even snuff that out because he's so gentle. But that, the the the, the remarkable message of Isaiah is that how that is how he accomplishes. Uh, he, that's how he does his thing is through gentleness. He is the possessor of of unimaginable power. In the garden, Jesus will say, "I've got twelve legions of angels." Okay, we know from Sodom and Gomorrah what two angels can do, right? <laughs> they can nuke a city. <laughs> Jesus has 12 legions, and uh, and yet what does he do? He comes in weakness. Yeah. He's crucified in weakness, Paul says. Later, Isaiah says, like a root out of dry ground. Yeah. There was nothing about his appearance. I'm paraphrasing here. Right, but, that, we should, yeah. that we should desire him. Yeah. And, and and yet that's how he uh, he accomplishes this mighty act of bringing the kingdom in. And it all starts... With that impoverished baby who's wrapped in rags, who's sleeping in a cattle trough. Yeah, this Jesus that Isaiah proclaimed would be coming. This 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 Savior, this servant. This is the one that we can serve today. This is one we can worship today. This is the one that can make this a different season for us. Yeah, absolutely. And we serve him the way he served us by letting go of power, by uh, caring for the poor, by opening the door of our lives to someone who's not like us. Mm-hmm. You have a song called The Promise, which I think kind of captures what we're talking about here, because Jesus, Christmas, Jesus is the promise he and is, the fulfillment of the promise. He's the fulfillment of every promise. Yeah. Let me ask you to sing this song for us here in the studio, if you don't mind. Uh, Michael Card, The Promise, and then we'll talk with Mark Spencer here today. God said when time was full, he would shine his light in the darkness. He said a virgin would conceive and give birth to the promise. For a thousand years the dreamers dreamt and hoped to see his love. But the promise showed their wildest dreams had simply not been wild enough. The promise was love and the promise was light. The promise meant light to the world Living proof that Yahweh saves For the name of the promise was Jesus The faithful one saw time was full And the ancient pledge was honored So God the Son, the incarnate one His final word, his own son was born in Bethlehem, but came into our hearts to live. What more could God have given? Tell me, what more did he have to give? 
What more could God have given? Tell me what more did he have to give? Promise was love and the promise was light. The promise meant light to the world. Living proof that Yahweh saved. The name of the promise was Jesus. The promise was love and the promise was light. The promise meant light to the world. Living proof that Yahweh saved. The name of the promise was Jesus. At last the proof Yahweh saved. The name of the promise was Jesus. Thank you, Michael. We have someone on the line with us now. Yes. That I feel like I know very well, but I've never spoken to him, never met him. I do know very well. But we're Facebook friends. Oh, and that's something. Mark Spencer is a listener to In the Studio. And Mark, we are on Facebook together. We are, Wayne. And it's good to finally speak with you in person. And and I know that you listen to this program. I do listen to the program, the podcast, and, and the years in the past when it was on the radio. And it just had a profound impact on my life and my family's life. And let me say this. I've known Mark for at least 25, 30 years. Uh, started going up to uh, playing concerts at a church up in Cortland, New York, that he was a part of. And then we we sort of connected. Our hearts resonated together. And then we just started doing things. Uh, I got to know his family very well. He's got three incredible daughters, two of whom have moved to Nashville and I'm sort of their uncle, their you know adopted uncle. You are if, if they Mike. if they get a flat tire, I'm the guy they call that <laughs> I sort see. of thing. Okay, all right. And uh, I had wanted actually wanted one of them to marry my son. So, uh, but um, and now we've done conferences together. And uh, Mark and his wife Gail, uh, we've just we've been friends for a long time. He has a great vision for ministry, um, for caring for the poor, uh, reconciliation up there in Cortland. So. He's a, he's a true brother. Yeah, we want to get Mark uh, to report on us on the recent Biblical Imagination Conference. But Mark, even before we ask for that report, uh, tell me about the place where you live. You you really you really love the uh, the land there, don't you? I do. I, we live uh, in central New York, about thirty miles south of Syracuse. Very rural community, uh, uh, just on the outskirts of what's known as the Finger Lakes region of uh, New York State. Very. Uh, pretty rolling hills mm-hmm. and just a nice situation. But Cortland, Cortland is um, is a struggling community here in, in New York State economically. Um, so there's a lot of need, uh, a lot of hurting people, and we feel God's called us uh, to serve here and, and try and make a difference. Well, describe the ministry there. I know you have a prayer retreat sort of situation. Uh, you do some. Uh, uh, on the mountain, you do some fellowship things. I know you do cider, you know, where people have get-togethers and you press cider. Talk to talk about what you do. Well, it really has come, you know, from from learning from all you guys. From Mike, Mike mentioned that we've known each other since actually 1987. Mike's been to Cortland eight times, and uh, the impact uh, that Mike's had through his music first and books, radio show. Um, and you know, it's just been tremendous impact on my, my life and my family. And it really launched this ministry that we have up in Cortland. We call it the mountain. Uh, God gave us stewardship of about 35 acres back in 1999. And the intent was to have a place where people could come away, uh, hurting people, discouraged people, tired people. And we would try uh, and uh, serve them and love them and uh, make a way for them to uh, spend time with the Lord and do whatever we could do to help. We have a community garden up there, that not the typical community garden where people come and work. It's a garden that people that are involved in ministry raise produce, and then we give it to needy people in the community. And we have, uh, you know, prayer has become a huge thing in my life. About 10 years ago, I was really convicted on um, the fact that I could find time to do all kinds of things. I could find time to play my guitar. I could go on a date with Gail. Not bad things. But I was seeing that um, there was a lack in my life of, of blocks of time, like going away with the Lord for a half a day or a day and just and fellowshipping with him and having communion with him. And so 
three years ago, somebody donated a an Amish built pre-made cabin that we have up on the up on the mountain now. I've just seen the photos people. on Facebook. Yeah, it looks wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, just for people to go and spend time with the Lord, and that's all it's used for. And so we're just trying, you know, it's it's everything, you know, when you guys were broadcasting about Empty Hands Fellowship down in Franklin, and we were trying to look at that and see how it fits up here and just care for people. Your ministry over the years, all of you, has had a tremendous impact on us and continues to this day. Mark, I know that Mike and Scott Rowley were recently with you for a Biblical Imagination yeah. Conference. And for those listening now who don't know what that's all about, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on what happened there and, and how it went. Well, it was a great, it was a great uh, weekend. It was the second conference that we've hosted. We hosted one back in uh, 2012. And um, just, you know, the whole thing with Mike coming in to teach um, and share the word, opening the word, and teaching us this perspective of biblical imagination, bridging the heart and the mind through the informed imagination. I got to tell you, you know, it's it's been eye opening for for me and for people up here. I had so many comments this last conference with people just saying, "We've never read scripture like this before. We haven't been taught like this before," and they just flabbergasted i mean they were they were telling me that they were just stunned and uh, so encouraged by it yeah and mike i know uh, you don't always get to do it with scott but it had to be special to have scott there at this one it was it was special too because uh scott let us know this was the last one oh he was going to be coming on really so yeah that that was special but let me say this mark mark of, of all the people that have hosted these things mark is the guy who takes care of every little detail. It was sold out, so he'd done all that you know, promotional work. And what we decided was, at the end, um, we're going to have people, if anybody ever signs up to do one, we're going to give Mark's number and say, first, <laughs> okay, first talk to this guy, because yeah, yeah. this guy really knows how to do it. And, and frankly, Mark, the, the main reason it was so successful was all the work that you did. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think it goes back to... Um, Mike, when we visited you with Sharon and Laura back in December, uh, we had been planning this for over a year. And in that time, we had a lot of people praying. Mm-hmm. And and prayer is so important. And I, I would encourage anyone that's thinking of hosting uh, a conference that prayer has got to be on the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we prayed through it. And then, you know, again, lessons that we've learned that it's, that it's on our part of it, it's all um, serving and caring for people and loving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not rocket science. There is a side to me, you know, I was in manufacturing management for 30 some years, so I do have a a bit of an A-type personality. I like details and like to make sure that things are covered so it runs as smoothly as possible. But um, it's just all the support and the love and, and the expectation of what we've learned over the years, seeing that come to Cortland in a way where where people can not only hear Mike's teaching but spend time with him and learn from him. Um, so you had, would you would recommend this to others who are interested oh gosh. in bringing oh gosh. Mike and friends in? Oh, oh, wholeheartedly. You know, like I said, I've been in business. I've been to all kinds of conferences and seminars, both in church related and business, and by far. This is the best. And let me assure you, no money has changed hands. <laughs> the preceding <laughs> announcement. Yeah, to get this endorsement, no money changed hands. Right, Mark? That's right. That's right. No money. Yeah. Money. Wayne, I want you to know this, that when we listen to the, the broadcast in the studio, when you're doing Empty Hands, you know, at McCreary's and, and Bob Bakke's Concert of Prayer from all those old uh, radio shows, they really impacted us. And I mm. think that you know this journey that we've been on up here by the teaching through Mike and and the guests on the show um, have really impacted how we how we look at the conference. Um, I had Mike. I got to tell you this. I had so many people come up and tell me Mike has a statement. He says, you know that um, that you really show someone how much you love them by how you listen to them. And I probably had a dozen people come up to me and say, 
you know, he did that to us. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, at the end of the conference where he has us get up and share, he said, we got up in front of the church and we looked down and there's Mike kind of sitting in the in the center aisle and he's just listening to us and was really interested in what we had to, to say. And he says he was, he was teaching us not just by what he was speaking by, but by his example. Mm, and so powerful. I think that's a whole side of the conference that you get to see um, that it's it's just not theoretical, but it's it's life and it's it's living. Well, one of the I best have, things we do is we give a we give an assignment. You write your life as a parable, right. or write the, where you've missed Jesus. And and you, I mean, you, I think you'll agree. It it really is. It's the best part. Everyone comes together and they sort of engage with all the material and stuff. And it's almost it's almost kind of mystical what mm-hmm. what comes out of people the the most quiet person who hasn't opened their mouth the whole time will share some unbelievable truth sounds fantastic and it is it's yeah. it really is it's amazing well uh, information is at the website michaelcard.com and we've heard uh, Mark's testimony and endorsement of a dear today <laughs> Mark your dear brother and uh, even though we've never met I really love you for what uh, what you've said here today I'm glad you guys wow. have gotten to co- connect yeah thank you thanks so much for for doing it praying for you guys just that it continues on because it's it's such a needed a voice in our world today and, mm. and be encouraged you're doing a great job thanks thanks mark well we've reached the halfway point of this session we hope you'll send us your reaction you can email your comments to in the studio at michaelcard.com you can reach us several ways send your email to in the studio at michaelcard.com or find us on twitter or facebook when you search for michael card And we're excited about Michael's new book and CD releasing this week. Find out how to order a copy of Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness when you stop by michaelcard.com. Also, look for the CD to the kindness of God. Please let others know about your experience listening and write a review. Tell a friend about what you've discovered here in the studio. And they can always subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Google Play. Next, we'll talk with Dr. Larry Crabb. Don't miss what's next in the studio with Michael Card. in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. And coming up in a moment, Dr. Larry Crabb will join us here. Larry's been a longtime friend of Michael, and I've, I've enjoyed talking with Larry through the years as well. He has a new book out called When God's Ways Make No Sense. And uh, when you hear what Larry has been through, you'll, you'll want to pick up a copy of this book, When God's Ways Make No Sense. But we'll talk with him in just a moment here in the studio. But Michael's going to come and sing a song for us right now, and I think this is a good way to lead into the conversation with Dr. Crabb. The song... Could it be? In the ebb and flow of living As we wander through the years We're told to listen to a voice We can't hear with our ears They say to live by something That you can't see with your eyes any purpose to this foolish exercise could it be you make your presence known so often by your absence could it be the questions tell us more than answers ever do could it be that you would really rather die than live without us could it be the only answer that means anything is you In our words and in our silence In our pride and in our shame To the genius and the scholar To the foolish and insane To the ones who care to seek you And to the ones who never will 
Larry Crabb, I have been wanting to talk to you for so long and catch up. Uh, the last time I saw you, you came to my son's wedding, and I took a picture of me kissing you on the cheek. <laughs> I think I remember that moment with, um, how can I say this? Mixed emotions. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't recoil, Larry? Uh, well, maybe just a little, but I don't want to admit that. <laughs> well, you said earlier that Brenda Manning was the only other person that had done that. I think you're like the only guy I've ever kissed like that on the cheek. But Well, there was an article in CT some years ago where Brennan was talking to the writer and said that he once kissed Larry Crabb on the lips. Ooh. And I said the only person other than my wife that has kissed me on the lips at that point was my mother-in-law. <laughs> but now I have to add Brennan to that list now, so I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure what I'm thinking about that. Well, let's the be thing, real clear. The things you learn here. Well, let's be real clear. Yeah. I kissed you on the cheek. Cheek, yeah. Well, I yeah. so appreciate that, Mike. That was great. <laughs> but I, I have missed you, good brother. And I, I, want, I want to catch up, and I want to find out. Uh, I know you've, you've written a book on what you've learned, but I, I, want, to, I want to catch up on w- with where you are and what you've learned, what you're learning. Well, yeah, well, I appreciate that. I really, you know, one of the verses that I've thought about for 30 years. Everybody knows the verse, really, James, when he says that, I want you to welcome tribulations when they come, because opportunities for great joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, well, I have some thoughts about that, but now I have a few deeper thoughts about yeah, that. Yeah, right. You say you've been doubly blessed, Larry. Well, <laughs> that's a strange way to put it, but in some sense, I mean that. I have a kind of cancer called gastronoma, which is a very rare kind of cancer that both of my oncologists, that I had one in Denver and now here in Charlotte where we live, uh, they really had maybe one other patient with that particular diagnosis, so it's a very rare, slow-going thing that I've had for about 22 years now. Mm. Um, and then leukemia just got diagnosed about two months ago. Oh. I was sitting having breakfast with a really close friend of mine, a local pastor who's my very close buddy, and the phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was Dr. Koya, my oncologist, and she said, um, I'm sorry, I have difficult news for you. The test came back, you have leukemia and I have a bed reserved for you in the hospital, you must go there right away. Now? It's life-threatening. Really? Wow. And so I finished oh. my breakfast because I had a really good breakfast sitting in front of me. And then I called my wife and said, Honey, we got some difficult news. You gotta, I'm going to come home right now. You've got to take me to the hospital. And that's how the whole, the whole current journey began and that two sec- months ago. And that second time, you, know, you, you knew exactly what that was going to entail. Well, I really didn't because I, the kind of cancer that I've had uh, the gastronoma, uh, it just doesn't respond to chemo. It doesn't respond to radiation. Um, I have a, a doctor in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, that is a specialist in gastronoma, and he's coming up with a procedure that he thinks can deal with it, but only after I get rid of the leukemia. So I really didn't know that leukemia was going to be about a six- or seven-month process of regular chemo treatment. I wasn't aware of the long-term involvement, but I'm aware of it now. So total time, how long has this struggle been? How long has the fight with cancer been? Well, the gastronoma since 97, when I've had my first diagnosis and my first surgery. Uh, so that's, what, 20, 21, 22 years. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and that's still ongoing. That still has to be dealt with when I get rid of the leukemia, which I'm trusting I'll be able to. The doctors are very optimistic. And then leukemia, I got the diagnosis in the, uh, just the very beginning of October. Okay, so, so where does the leukemia stand now, then, Larry? Remission. Well, the doctors are telling me, and my doctor, who I really happen to like a lot, uh, <laughs> she said to me just about what five or six days ago that the recent test showed that uh, I'm in remission, um, not cured, but in remission, and she wants me to go through more chemo treatments up through the end of May into June, and if I do that, and I will, then the opportunity or the risk rather of the leukemia returning goes down to just about zero, not quite, yeah. but mm. 99% uh, likelihood that the leukemia will be completely gone and I'll be cured. And That'd once that happens, which I'm looking forward to, mm. ending all this chemo stuff, then I'll go to Kentucky and get this procedure and get rid of my other cancer. Then I'll be back to being totally healthy at age 100. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of people listening have been through what you're through in terms of chemotherapy, but what, what, effect, has it, what effect has it had on you? Well, the major effect is fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, my weariness is just uh, different than I've ever known before, and my ability to concentrate is difficult. I'm working, I'm going out to Denver actually in about a week and a half, 
and uh, I hope that doesn't sound like boasting, but they've named a, a building after me out at Colorado Christian University oh, where wow. I had some involvement. Fantastic. They have the Larry Crabb Counseling Center. Excellent. And I'm going out to um, receive that obvious wonderful honor, and I'm giving a chapel talk and um, as well as a ceremony. Good. And as I've been working on my chapel talk, I've just not been able to concentrate. I was mm. just talking to my older son about half an hour ago, and I said, Cap, this is a prayer request that when I sit down to actually try to think hard about what the Lord wants me to say at this um, this, this chapel talk that I'm giving where my grandson is a freshman, mm. um, I want something from the Lord. I don't want to just tell a couple of funny stories and a couple of thoughts that meant something to be 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just can't get it. Um, I sit to write, and I just feel not, not dizzy, but foggy. Um, so that's the major that's the major side effect for me. Well, I can only guess after 22 years of fighting cancer, your talks are going to be full of all kinds of easy believism and platitudes <laughs> and things like that. Well, of course, that's the way it works. <laughs> if you just have devotions in the morning, you pass your test in the afternoon. That's just the way it works. Uh, guys, guys. <laughs> has anyone said to you yet, you must have done something wrong or this wouldn't happen to you, or something like that? Have you gotten that yet? You know, I really haven't, and I'm grateful. Yes. Um, They're not brave enough. I would have a hard time being warm toward that person, I think. <laughs> yeah. But I really haven't had anybody talking like that. Uh, mm. I don't know what they're thinking, but I have had a couple of people say something which is equally disconcerting in a way, perhaps, that, oh, Larry, we know what plans God has for you. You're going to be just fine. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Well, tell that to Dallas Willard. <laughs> tell that to Francis Schaefer. Yeah. Um, both those guys died of cancer. Yeah. Um, and I have no guarantees that I'm going to live tomorrow. I might be in a, in a, in a car wreck tomorrow. And I don't believe God is committed to my longevity. He's committed to my maturity. Mm, yes. And the two are radically different. And, uh, and um, uh, you know, I was talking with one, one good friend, actually, and was saying that I really hope I'm going to be feeling good by the time I get to Denver for this particular thing that I'm going to be involved with. And mm-hmm. she said, oh, guaranteed you will. Oh boy. And I said, no, no, that's not a guarantee. God has not made that promise. And it really occurred to me that a lot of Christians in our culture, and I'm tempted in this direction, but I think I know better, we're really claiming promises God has not made. Mm. And that results either in Phariseeism or total disillusionment. Or anger at God. And anger at God. Yeah. What the, where are you? What are you doing here? And that's kind of what motivated the book, really. You know, God, your ways are not making any sense, and I know the passage, God, in Isaiah 55, that your ways and your thoughts are much higher than mine, but they're, they're way too much higher than mine, and I just can't figure you out, and I've been leading a pretty good life. I've been, I'm 74 years old. I've never been drunk. I've mm-hmm. never been immoral. I've never had an affair. Mm-hmm. I teach the Bible. Hey, I'm a good guy. How about a few blessings that I think I deserve? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm learning that isn't quite the way it works. Mm-hmm. And yet you have hope, Larry. Exp- Absolutely. Explain that. Well, I think the hope, as I see it, is that um, there's a couple ways of putting it, but I believe a larger story is unfolding. And it's a larger story that God is telling that doesn't align very well with the smaller story that I've scripted for my life. Mm-hmm. And the script that I've had in between my birth and my death is a lot of things, you know, a great marriage. I happen to have that. I'm so grateful for the things I do have. I've got two godly sons, married to two great women, uh, five uh, grandchildren that are doing great. So I've got blessings to, to boot. You know, I just really love the blessings, and I'm happy for them. But, but, I, but I think that I really kind of have an internal sense that, God, you, you ought to be giving me hope that the script I've written for my smaller story is going to go well, and the cancer has just upended any remnant of that thinking. Mm-hmm. But it's opened me up to realizing there's a larger story God is telling, and he's up to something that to whatever degree I have clear spiritual eyesight, I'm going to say, God, that's really something. That's really good. And I believe it's, it boils down to two elements, and I'm sure there's about 20 others I'm not thinking of. But, but number one, I, I think in our culture, and maybe in me as well, we, we don't have a very deep view of sin, and therefore we don't have a terribly grateful view of the cross. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the degree to which I understand that I really deserve judgment, and that's foreign to our culture. But the degree to which I really, you know, deserve judgment is the degree to which the cross becomes an, an incredible event that guarantees my entrance into heaven. And then with that clear in my mind, that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I really have a great faith in that. But then the question is, in between now and heaven, 
well, God, what good are you now? What are mm-hmm. you doing for me now? You're not curing my cancer. You're not curing other little things I got going on. And um, you know, I am in certain kinds of pain, and you don't seem to be a good anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Um, so what good are you? And I think it's a very horrible way of putting it, God, what, what good are you? But I think it's a fair question. And the answer for me, the hope that I have, is spiritual formation. He's making me learn. He's helping me learn a little bit to love like Jesus. I actually believe, and if this sounds like boasting, I'm saying it very poorly, I think I'm getting more patient. <laughs> I think I'm actually learning to love my wife a little differently. You know, every marriage has your squabbles, and we have ours after 52 years. Mm-hmm. We still have our little times, of course. And I really believe that there's just a different attitude within me after all these years. I'm a little slow learner. But just to recognize what a blessing I have in this woman, and I irritate her a lot more than she irritates me, but I'm really able to sense a different kind of patience, and I'm really able. Actually, my, my 33 days in the hospital were some of the best days of my life. Um, uh, don't misunderstand me. I didn't like being in the hospital, didn't like the routine, and didn't like all the tests and everything else. But it, it really solidified for me what C.S. Lewis talks about, about first things and second things. Are you familiar with that quote? Yeah. He really argues, you know, that if you put first things first, second things are thrown in. But if you put second things first, you lose both first and second things. And during my 33 days in the hospital, it just became very clear to me that, that, that second things, including my comfort, including my health, including all the things that I really would like, they really are second things. They're not the first thing. Mm-hmm. And the first thing is, is growing a little bit to be a, able to love a little more like Jesus, able to be a little more like him in the way I think and the way I relate. And with that thought in my mind, I was able um, during those 33 days to get up, and I actually wrote 13 or, well, probably 12 or 13 articles that just were on my mind. I was on fire. I really was. Mm. Um, and I just was because, I think it was because I could uh, identify a very clear separation between first and second things. And that meant the world to me. It really did. Well, you, you must have been incredibly tired during that time. Did you just push through the tiredness or the ex- that were the ideas so exciting that they overcame? I, I don't know how you, know, you do that. Well, one of the, yeah, that's, that's a great question. One of the, one of the verses that just kind of uh, hit me in a very strong way, you know, in the Gospel of John, the Lord says, my sheep hear my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I've heard both of your voices before. And uh, knowing who I was going to be on the phone with, I'd recognize, hey, that's Mike and Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a phone call from my, one of my two sons, and I recognize, hey, that's Cap, that's Ken. Mm-hmm. I recognize the voice of people that I know. Do I recognize the voice of Christ? And that became a real challenge to me, and I realized that so much of my prayer life, I was, I was basically filling the conversation with all my petitions, yeah. and there was no space for God to speak. And I didn't hear him audibly. I, I'd be open to that if that ever happened, but it hasn't. But there was a very clear sense that he was talking to me about freedom, um, that cancer cannot rob me of the freedom to honor the central goal of my life. Um, uh, maybe I could learn what it means to be free in a relationship with someone that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could actually be there for that person with a vision for who they could become as opposed to an irritation for who they're not. Mm-hmm. And I just became very aware of the word freedom, and I became very aware of what does it mean to be open to the Lord in a profound way. Um, John of the Cross used to say that that um, whenever there is an, an open space in your soul, God cannot walk by it without filling it. Mm-hmm. And I just felt a very deep sense of openness, and my prayer life took a real shift during that month in the hospital, and it was really a wonderful time. Well, I noticed in the new book, I, I didn't see a lot about Job, but I saw a lot about Habakkuk. And from what I, yeah. re- I, from what I remember those two, two books, Job asks all these questions, and God basically shows up and asks harder questions. But in, Habak- yes. in Habakkuk, God actually answers. Is that what drew you to Habakkuk, the answers? It, it, yeah, it, they really were. Um, and the answers were not what, what Habakkuk really had in mind at all. Ah. Um, but they were they were real answers that that left Habakkuk in the last chapter in chapter three it left Habakkuk and this is what really got me about the about the short book of Habakkuk uh, Habakkuk said you know no matter what happens there's no cattle in the stalls there's no grain in the fields there all the second things are gone 
And as a result, he didn't say, hey, no problem, I know Jesus, or I know God. What he said was, it makes me tremble. I lose strength in my legs. I can't stand. My lips are quivering. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, there's a place for trembling, and it's maybe the word I'm using for what the word lament actually means. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy your book on lament, Michael. Mm -hmm. That was a great book. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. I wish we had more time, Larry, but um, thank you. You've given us hope. I, I'm sorry for what you've been through, but no surprise to us, the Lord has really used it to teach you and to grow you, and it's it's wonderful to hear. And thank you for not wasting any of it. Yeah. No, nothing gets wasted in God's economy. And yeah. I, uh, do I still struggle? Do I still have my issues going on? Of course, I'm not glorified yet, <laughs> but the Lord's doing a deep work in me, and I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah. Well, we love and respect you, Larry, as you know. So we're going to ask Michael to sing a song as we wrap up here. I think this fits right in, though, Michael. Unveiled Hope? Mm. I reckon. <laughs> yeah. We'll let the song speak for itself. Larry Crabb, thank you for being with us. My privilege, guys. really is. See what every eye shall see Behold, he's coming with the cloud Setting all the captives free And those who long to see this day Will tremble with delight As a sea of upturned faces there Is bathed in endless light I am the Alpha and the Omega The one who is and was and is I hold the keys and I have come Once the just and gentle victim Who it seemed was born to die See him now a blaze of glory As he moves across the sky and that majestic silhouette who's come to take his bride Still bears the healing wounds upon his hands and feet inside I am the Alpha and the Omega The one who is and was and is to come Though I was dead, now I'm alive forever Don't be I hold the keys and I have come The great unveiling of our hope The promised jubilee The revelation of our God It's all we long to see I am the Alpha and the Omega The one who is and was and is to come I hold the keys and I have come Unveiled Hope. Thank you, Michael, for singing that song and all the music on this week's program. Uh, I've always admired Larry Crabb. Yes. But when you talk to Larry today and know what he's going through today, doesn't your admiration just soar for Well, we're talking about hope. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, and I don't think he would mind me saying this, um, you know, if, if anyone had reason to doubt mm. the hope, that the promise, that mm -hmm. the, uh, the hope that we've been given, yeah. all, I mean, to have cancer once... Sure. And then have come have it come back yeah. and have it come back again and remain so hopeful and positive and trusting and then to have another sort of cancer. I mean, uh, yeah, I think most of us wouldn't, but but uh, but Larry doesn't let go because obviously he realized that he's being held on to by by the Lord. But right. 
And what a privilege it is to get to hear him think out loud and to spend. I'm sure he didn't feel like talking on the phone for 15 minutes to us. But oh, I don't know. I what think a gift. I think he enjoyed it. Really? Yeah, well, what yeah. a gift that is. A very gracious gift yeah. to spend that time with us. Yeah, he's a giver. He's a teacher. He, yeah. So I think he saw it as an opportunity. And, yeah. And I appreciate that. Oh, me too. I do. I do not take that for granted. Yeah. And uh, he he spoke of uh, struggling with with tiredness. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know. I'll sometimes I look on the schedule. If you got a you got a phone call at twelve thirty, and I go, oh gosh, I can't. I'm just too tired. And uh, so yeah, I have a almost a mystical admiration for Larry Crabb. And for so many years, he's been sort of uh, thinking for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, both of you are honest about your feelings, and uh, I appreciate that about both of you. Yeah. So well. Good to have friends like Larry Crabb and and Mark Spencer. The fact yes, that, you yeah. know, we, this is <laughs> good been, brother. Yeah, it's been a, been a great show, and and in in his own way, holding on to that hope that's been held out to him, uh, and bringing it to other people, uh, and that's what we're called to do. That's what it's all about. Yes, well said, Michael. Thank you. Well, our prayer for this hour is that it would give you encouragement to stay in step with Christ, and we hope you'll send us your story of how this is happening for you. We look forward to reading your reactions and questions about Michael's teaching. You can reach us several ways. Send your email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook when you search for Michael Card. And we're excited about Michael's new book and CD releasing this week. Find out how to order a copy of Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness when you stop by michaelcard.com. Also, look for the CD to the Kindness of God. Tell a friend about what you've discovered here on the program. They can always subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Google Play. And for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Lauren Kosky, Ashley Smith, Lance Mansfield, Jeff Jones, and of course our producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next week for a special Christmas concert here in the studio with Michael Carr.